everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to the Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. I knew an older woman by the name of Carol. Very possibly she's with the Lord now. I haven't seen her for years, but she was the sweetest Christian woman. And one day she said, can I tell you the story of my childhood? And she told me perhaps the worst story of child abuse I have ever heard. But this woman is a gem. And there's a saying, your sorrows will either make you bitter or better. They will either drive you from the Lord or to the Lord. Well, the subject for this half hour is let Jesus change your life. If you've become bitter because of life, and that's easy to do, let Jesus come into your life and, and start to change things. We're going to look at the story today of the disciples in the boat, the day Jesus walked up to them, entered their lives, and turned their lives upside down. Would you take out your Bible, turn in the New Testament to Matthew chapter 4, and let's see how Jesus changes our lives for our good. Let's pray first. Father, it is easy just to get angry and bitter and disillusioned by all the sin in this world, including our own sin. And, but Lord, Lord Jesus, we do pray that you will come into our lives and we will let you change our lives for your glory and for our own good. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me uh, uh, take you now through this passage. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been taken into custody, jail, Jesus withdrew into Galilee, that's north of Jerusalem. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament, quote, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea between Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in the darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land of, sh of the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. In other words, Jesus is now going to kind of the mixed area of Israel where they kind of mix paganism with Judaism. It's kind of the mixed breed. Uh, uh, they're, they're not the pure Jews living down in in Jerusalem so much. So here's the first lesson. Christ came for those in darkness. Years ago, I went on a mission trip to India. I went over early because I wanted to go to Nepal and hike in the Himalayas for three or four days and then go down and join the mission trip. I land in Nepal. They lost my luggage in Bangladesh. So I couldn't go hike in the Himalayas. I had to sit in Kathmandu, Nepal for like four days. Looking back, that was God's providence. At that time, Nepal was the only Hindu kingdom left on earth. And for four days, I walked around Kathmandu and experienced Hinduism. 
thousands of gods. The temples there, some of the temples had obscene statues all around the outside of the temples, people in sex positions. Holy cows in the street. There's this five-year-old girl they call the, the goddess, and they parade her through the streets. They just remember how scared she looked. They think she's a goddess. Uh, I remember seeing one woman walking down the street totally naked, and then I saw another woman come and take her, her uh, cloak and just shield her face from even having to look at this woman because she was an outcast. And that is the caste system in Hinduism. I if you're uh, suffering in the gutter, they don't pick you up because you're paying for bad karma that you committed in a prior life. People didn't start picking people off the streets of Calcutta till Mother Teresa and her sister showed up. So my point is, Jesus came for those people. He came for people in darkness. The reason I went over to India and Nepal, praise God for Campus Crusade for Christ, because they are showing the Jesus film to people in India and Nepal, bringing many people to saving faith in Christ. So hallelujah for them. That's where some of my money goes. My, my point is, Jesus came for the people stuck in darkness. And sadly, the United States is becoming as pagan these days as Nepal. Now we're going to see Jesus' main message when he preached. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. Jesus' main message, the first words out of his mouth in the Gospel of Mark and here in Matthew 4 is the word repent. The word repent means three things. First, the literal Greek New Testament word metanoia means to change your mind. Let me ask you this. Do you let God change your mind? I'll tell you my story. If you watch this show, I'm kind of a biblical conservative. If the Bible teaches it, I, I, I believe it. I haven't always been this way. You should have seen me in high school and my first year of college. I mean, I remember going to Bible study my first year of college, arguing, arguing with the other people in the Bible study against hell, arguing, well, maybe there is reincarnation. And m my roommate in college, Scott, well, do you think it's wrong that Beth and I are having sex? Well, I don't know. Yeah, well, what do you think about abortion? Well, I don't know. Well, that was my first year in college, but I started rereading my Bible the first year in college. And by the end of my first year in college, my mind started to change. Do you let the Bible change your mind? That's what the word repent means, to change your mind. Somebody told me of a dear Christian woman, and he said to her, who did you vote for in the last election? And she told him, and he said, wait a minute, I know you're pro-life. Why would you vote for a candidate who is so pro-abortion? And she said, well, my family, we've always voted for this certain party. Well, could you let God change your vote? Could you let God change your mind? The word repent means three things. Number one, it means to change your mind. Second thing, it means to change your direction. The Old Testament word for repent literally is to turn around. Do you let God change your direction in life? Again, thinking back to college, First year in college, I majored in filmmaking. I was going to make movies. And then I won't go into the details, but then I had a dream. And I told this dream to this woman in my Bible study, and she came out with this interpretation of what it meant. Basically that you are the one who's going into filmmaking. The Lord doesn't want that for you. And, and she came out with this interpretation, and 
boy, did it seem right, and I ended up being a preacher. I didn't think I'd be a preacher. Here I am. Do you let God change your direction in life? And the third thing, to change your mind is the New Testament definition. To change your direction, to turn around is the Old Testament de definition. But the third definition of repent, to change your behavior. There's a saying, repentance is not being sorry. Repentance is being sorry enough to quit. Do you let God change your behavior? <laughs> if you could talk to my family, my brother and my sister, they're the only two left. My mom and dad were alive. They would tell you what a headache I was in high school. I loved to argue. I was on the debate team in high school, and I, I, I drove my family crazy. Then, my, again, my first year in college, God started to touch my heart. And today, I hate to argue. I'll do it if I have to, but I hate a good argument. I like peace. Well, do you let God do that? Do you let God change the words that comes out of your mouth? Um, you know, I, I was talking to a, a man, goes to church. He has a problem with pornography, and we talked about that. Well, he keeps the pornography in the house. I said to him, well, wait a minute. Do you ask God to forgive you? Yeah, but then you're keeping this stuff in your house? Yeah, but I asked for forgiveness. I said, that's not repentance. How can you take Holy Communion, I said to him, if you're keeping it in your house? That shows you're insincere. So true repentance is not just changing your mind or just changing your direction. It's changing your behavior. Now, why should I repent? Let's look at the next part of the verse. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Repent for, he's going to give the reason to repent. Repent for, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, here's why we repent, to get the best. The reason we turn from sin is to get something so much better, the kingdom. I mean, if you're walking down the street holding garbage and you see silver lying in the road, you'll drop the, the garbage to pick up the silver. And then if you keep walking and you see gold, you'll drop the silver to get the gold. And Jesus is saying, the, the reason I want you to repent of your sins and all this garbage is so you can get the gold, the kingdom. And we're going to see in the next verse, the disciples are going to drop everything and pick him up and follow Jesus. And, and, and here's why. They followed Jesus. You get this later in the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew 19. Peter said to Jesus, We have left everything and have followed you. What then shall we have? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man shall sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones. Everyone who has left houses or brother or sister or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So everybody get this. The reason we repent, the reason we turn from sin and garbage is to get the gold, get the kingdom, to get the Lord. Uh, John Piper is a famous preacher uh, who writes books and he, he talks about something called Christian hedonism. When we think of hedonism, we normally think of the pagans. Hedonism is the love of pleasure. So we think of, you know, Playboy magazine. And, and, and the, but John Piper says, no, if you really love pleasure, if you're really selfish and want what's best for you, now and for eternity, you'll turn to Jesus. <laughs> the real hedonists, the real lovers of pleasure on this planet are the Christians. There, there's a painting of a little boy holding a toy. 
but he's dropping the toy and he's got a glow on his face. And you wonder, why is he smiling as he drops the toy? And you look up in the corner of the picture and here is a white dove flying to his hands. <laughs> the reason we repent is to get something better than our sin. See, here's what the devil does. The devil teaches us just the opposite. No, God will kill your joy. God will make you miserable. I'll make you happy. Sin. And then you do it, and you're miserable. We've got to remember, repent for the reason we repent. We get the kingdom. We get the joy. Verse 18. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here's the next lesson. Be open to a change of profession. In, in this verse, Jesus changes Peter's job. Have you ever prayed, Lord, you want me to change my job? Do you know that Moses was 80 years old when God changed his job? His brother Aaron was 83 years old, and, and, and Aaron and and. Uh, uh, Moses, Moses stopped being a sheep herder at age 80 to become the leader of Israel uh, at age 80. Uh, similar happened to his brother. So um, if you've never prayed, Lord, do you want me to do a job change for you? I'd pray that before you go to bed tonight and see what he says. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Next lesson, be open to leaving your possessions. Whatever your net is, whatever it is you think you have to have to have life, be open to dropping that. Again, you drop it to get something better. <laughs> I mean, if, if you were at the lake the day, that day and Jesus said to you, leave your net, leave your livelihood, would you have done it? Well, you know, I hope you would have, hope I would have, but don't kid yourself. If you won't give 10% to the Lord, you're not going to give 100%. Let me just say this about tithing. Tithing is when 10% of your money goes to the Lord. If you're not doing that, you need to do that. <laughs> Christians in America are about the wealthiest Christians on earth. Christians in Africa are tithing. You can tithe. And again, we do this to get something better. I mean, Christian, the reason you're on this planet is to spread the gospel. Don't miss out on that. That's why you're here. <laughs> Look at verse 21. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here's the next lesson. Be open to leaving your family. They left their father. I can remember a missionary couple of the church I served, and they believed the Lord wanted them to leave America to become missionaries to Germany. And as they're about to leave, Doug's mother gets terminal cancer. And they wonder, well, am I, are we still, still supposed to leave? We thought this was the Lord's will. So we, they, they prayed about it, said goodbye to mother, and they went to Germany. I think what they did was good. Their, their sister took care of mom. But are you open to leaving your family for the sake of the Lord? And let me ask you this. Are you even willing to leave your church family for the sake of the Lord? I heard this week of an ELCA Lutheran man 
who's been in the Lutheran Church and the ELCA for a total of like 50 years because of the unbiblical direction of that denomination. It was hard for him, I'm sure. He finally left his church of 50 years to join a more biblical church. Are you willing to leave your church family if the Lord leads you to? I'll tell you this. Years ago, when I was a pastor at an ELCA congregation, because of their abortion payments, because of their pro-gay theology, universalism, I could go on and on, I wanted our church to leave the ELCA. But we had to have a big congregational meeting, and I had to get in front of the church to explain why we should leave, and there sat our liberal bishop in the meeting. It was very, very awkward, but I got up and I made my plea. At the end of the meeting, a man came up to me who, who goes, went to the church said Tom I've never he's never had anything like this happen he said when you were speaking in the front I looked in the front pew and I saw an angel sitting there like this like he was intensely listening to what was happening that night and he said then I looked back and it was gone and we voted and my congregation left the ELCA Lutheran Church are you willing, for the sake of Christ, to leave your family and, if necessary, your church family? Let's look at verse 22. Immediately they left their boat and their father, father and they followed him. Here's the next lesson. The definition is a Christ, of a Christian is, a Christian is one who follows him. Do you know that 85% of America says they're Christian? What? <laughs> Listen, a Christian is not someone who believes in God. A Christian is not someone who believes Jesus existed 2,000 years ago. A Christian is someone who follows him. And if 85% of America was following Christ, we'd have a whole different country. All right, the last part of the sermon Here's the question. If we will follow Jesus in the church today, if your church becomes a Christ-centered church, what will happen to your church? Well, three things happen. This is called the threefold ministry of Christ. This is what he did when he was on the planet. This is what you will do if you follow him. Look at verse 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. The first thing that happens when a church is Christ-centered Teaching becomes very important. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your own teaching when you talk to your family and friends about Christ. Teaching becomes important. I will tell you this. My first church years ago was a church in Florida. Kind of a lukewarm country club. Then I came to my, my new church up in Minneapolis. Oh boy, they taught all kinds of Bible studies and small groups. And, and it was just a teaching, teaching church. Second thing that happens when you're following Christ, verse 23, and Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Teaching will happen. Number two, preaching will become very important. Is preaching important in your church? <laughs> I will tell you this. I praise God for the Lutheran church I grew up in in Omaha. Godly pastors but the preaching was pretty boring. 
Then somebody took me downtown to the Omaha Gospel Tabernacle, and I heard Pastor Elmer Murdoch preach. I had never heard such preaching in my life. I started to listen to him. It changed my life. So pray for your pastor when he gets up on Sunday morning. Pray for the preaching of the gospel. Preaching, teaching, third thing that happens in your church if you follow Jesus is verse 23. And he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Three main things Jesus did was he preached, he taught, and he healed. Healing will become important in your church. I visited a shut-in 89-year-old woman a while ago, and, and she was in pain. And I didn't just pray that God would heal her. I went this, the next step, and I said, you know, James chapter 5 says if you're sick, call for the elders to anoint you with oil and pray for you. And I said, if you'd like to do that, we'd love to come over and do that for you. Do you have healing in your church? Something I encourage you to do, some churches do it. At the end of every service, you say, there will be people to pray for you at the altar. As you leave church today, if you need prayer for your broken marriage, for your daughter on drugs, for your cancer, come up and we'll pray and the elders will come and anoint you with oil. Healing is a big deal in the New Testament. So if you follow Christ, teaching, preaching, and healing will be part of your congregation. The last point I want to make for the sermon, though, and this is the main thing I get from this story of Peter and his net, there is a blessing if we are obedient. We get the kingdom. Had Peter refused to drop his net, he would have missed everything. I want you to imagine, let's say this is the gospel lesson we're preaching on today. Here we go. Now Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and said, Peter, leave your net and follow me. And Peter answered him, leave my net? But my livelihood depends on this net. This is my job. I have a good fishing business here. But Pete, Jesus said, Peter, leave your net. Oh, but this net, my father fished with this net. His father fished with his net. My family is fed by this net. And Jesus said, Peter, leave your net. But this is the only thing I know. I can't farm. I'm not a lawyer. What else could I do? And Jesus said to him, Peter, leave your net. But Peter got into the boat, headed out to sea, and kept his net. If that would have been the gospel lesson we're talking about today, you would never heard of St. Peter. There'd be no St. Peter, Minnesota. There'd be no St. Peter's uh, 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 Cathedral in Rome. There'd be no first and second letter of Peter in the New Testament. They wouldn't have jokes about Peter meeting you at the pearly gates in heaven. You wouldn't have heard of Peter. So here's my point. When the opportunity of a lifetime came to Peter, he said yes to Jesus instead of no, and that changed his entire life. Maybe you're at that juncture right now. Maybe you're not a Christian, and God is saying to you, come to Jesus, believe in him, and I will turn your life upside down for the good. Remember, we, the reason we drop the garbage is to get the kingdom, the gold. You know, I, I, I love that old hymn. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have mansions untold. 
I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be held by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Why do we repent? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You don't want to miss that. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, you talked about Christ coming for those in darkness. Isn't it arrogant to say that Christians are in the light and that everyone else is in darkness? Well, no, I don't think it's arrogant. And let me sh show you the verse. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 8, Paul says this. For you, when he's talking to Christians, you, Christians, were formerly darkness, but now you are the light of the world. Walk as children of light. So th the Christian understanding is everybody's in darkness, Christians included, and it's only by Christ that we come out into the light. So I don't think that's arrogance, just the way it is. <laughs> we're all sinners. And all, everybody needs the light of Christ. Okay. We're saved by grace alone and not our good works. Mm -hmm. So does someone have to repent to be saved? Right. You know, sometimes I'm a Lutheran, and Lutherans are big on the fact that we're saved by grace alone, and we are. But people can take that to a wacko extreme and say, because I'm saved by grace alone, I don't need to repent. I don't need to believe in Christ. We're saved by grace, so I don't do anything. Well, it's true you don't do anything, but when God saves you by his grace, he gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves you to repent of sin. The Holy Spirit moves you to believe in Christ. You have to, I mean, Paul was asked in Acts 16 by the, the soldier, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So you do have to believe, you do have to repent. My point is, you can't do that on your own. That's the Holy Spirit in you that does it. So God gets 100% credit for everything because not only does he save me by his grace, he gives me the gift of repentance and faith. Yeah. I remember from confirmation learning the definition of grace was God's riches at Christ's, Christ's expense. expense. Yeah. And if you remember that, yeah. then you see the reason for all the yeah, other indeed, things. Indeed, indeed. I will say this too, Jackie. The first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of Mark is repent. Okay. So you can't be a Christian without repenting. Is repentance something you do once at conversion, or is it a lifelong thing? We've only got a few minutes left. Well, well you know, Martin Luther talked about baptism. What is the daily uh, significance of baptism? The daily, our old Adam, with its lust and desires, should be drowned, and the new person should come forth. So repentance is something I have to do every day. Yeah. Okay. We want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.